Good to see you all here this morning. I'm glad we can get together once again. It's been a week of worship uh, already, but I'm glad to see all of y'all here this morning um, so we can gather again on our normal day that we come and worship uh, together as a community. So grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. So things that are going on in the life of the church, you'll see on the back of your bulletin. You'll see our normal worship schedule for Sundays. We have United Methodist Women tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Uh, baby shower for Courtney, uh, so be aware of that. Uh, as always, we have the prayer lab for the basketball court for those who want to do that. Uh, we also always have this space open for prayer uh, or just time to sit in a, in a quiet place if you need to. Uh, upcoming events. The United Methodist Men Barbecue Takeout is going to be October 23rd. Uh, we're just going to do the takeout. That's usually the takeout auction, but we're just doing the barbecue this time. Um, we couldn't find a good way to do the sale. Uh, so we're going to do just the, just the men uh, doing the barbecue, but we're going to have the help of the women. Thank you. Uh, to make sure we get it done and get it done right. Because you know, sometimes us men don't do it right. So we got to have a good woman behind us to make sure we do uh, I know my, my wife is that way. She, she keeps me straight most of the time when I listen anyway. Um, so we'll be doing that uh, in October. Uh, so just uh, I think we'll get some more information out on that uh, here soon, I guess. I'm not for sure, but we'll, we'll get some more uh, information on that out. Uh, that's all the announcements that I have. Do we have any others this morning? Well, seeing no others this morning, let us open our time with prayer. So let us pray. Serving God, humble our hearts and quiet our minds, that we may reflect your servant heart in everything we say and do. Plant your wisdom in our lives, that we might live your teachings and bear fruit at just the right time. With humble hearts we pray. Amen. So our song of preparation this morning is a, is a hymn song, uh, I Surrender All, uh, but this version is by Newsboys, um, and it's a little lower key than what Newsboys is really wild and crazy to, so let us sing, if you feel comfortable this morning, I Surrender All with Newsboys. Yeah, it's going to take a second. Let's see how quickly we can get this thing downloaded. 
Nope, it's okay. This happens, let's see. Put it up here for a second. Sometimes we get good internet out here, sometimes we don't. We all know how the internet is around here, right? <laughs> and today, technology wants to do this. there just don't want to play it well we will just skip that song this morning because it that won't download quickly for some reason well sometimes it happens sometimes it happens well you can look at your lyrics real quick let's just take a look at the song sheet and see what the lyrics are there we know about I surrender all uh, and you know the way this one works, uh, especially with verse one and verse two, it's just a little bit different. Um, no one knows your heart, and no one knows your fears. When no one solves the mystery or even wipes away the tears, can you hear the sound of laughter from the other side of life? There are days when I feel like a stranger. Sometimes, tell me, are there any other fools like me? And I love the ending part of this, or in the bridge piece, are kind of the same thing. But I love the ending because it says, I surrender all, I surrender all. He doesn't love us because of who we are. To the promise you made, he only loves us because of who he is. I surrender all and I will give it all. He doesn't love us because of who we are. To the maker of the day, he only loves us because of who he is. God loves us no matter what. Not because of who we are, but like it says, because of who He is. God loves us. So as we ponder those words this morning, we'll move into a time of prayer. We have many joys and concerns that have been lifted up over the week. Um, so we we can add to that list. We've got a long list as it is already, but are there any others that we need to add to the list this morning? Well, that is good that we don't have any to add. I am joyful that we have this wonderful weather this morning. It's a little on the cool side, not too bad. So I'm looking forward to the cooler weather. I think as many of us are. So let us go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Let us pray. Gracious God, we have come again this morning to worship, to praise. We have come just to be in the presence, to be in community. And Lord, as we have come this morning, we come with Concerns on our hearts. Concerns about people that we love. People that are sick. People that are dealing with just unbelievable things. So Lord, this morning we come to you. We bring each and every one of these names to you. Knowing and trusting that you will do what needs to be done. And Lord, though it is hard sometimes for us to understand what your will is, 
Give us peace. Give us comfort. Heal those who need a healing, Lord. Give comfort to those who are grieving. Give peace to those who are in turmoil. Help us to see those who are lost so that they can be found. And let us be an open, an open church that welcomes all that is led by you to us. So Lord, this morning as we come before you, as we come to this time of gathering together, speak to us. Open our ears and eyes and hearts to see, hear, and love the way that Jesus loves. The way that you love us. So Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name this morning and we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. As we continue this morning, we come to our first reading of Scripture. Our first reading is Psalm 1, which is our Psalter reading for this morning. So let us read this psalm together. The truly happy person doesn't follow wicked advice. Instead of doing those things, these persons love the Lord's instruction. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which bears fruit at just the right time, and whose leaves don't fade. That's not true for the wicked. They are like dust that the wind blows away. The Lord is intimately acquainted with the way of the righteous. As we continue this morning, we are grateful for all the support, both monetary and in acts and deeds of this community. So let me offer this prayer over those gifts that we have given to God. Let us pray. God of love and service, we thank you for loving and serving us through the grace of your Son, Christ Jesus. Bless these gifts that others may be loved and served in our giving. Bless our lives that we may love and serve one another as you have loved and served us. In your loving name we pray. Amen. So our message text this morning comes from James. The letter of James. We're in chapter 3. We're starting at verse 13 and we're going actually through 4 or 8 
Um, the lectionary skips 4, 5, and 6, but I think we need to hear 4, 5, and 6 this morning. So we're going to read 3.13 through 4.8. So now hear these words from James. Are any of you wise and understanding? Show that your actions are good with a humble lifestyle that comes from wisdom. However, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, then stop bragging and living in ways that deny the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Instead, it is from the earth, natural and demonic. Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and everything that is evil. What of the wisdom from above? First, it is pure, and then peaceful, gentle, obedient, filled with mercy and good actions, fair and genuine. Those who make peace sow the seeds of justice by their peaceful acts. What is the source of conflict among you? What is the source of your disputes? Don't they come from your cravings that are at war in your own lives? You long for something you don't have, so you commit murder. You are jealous for something you can't get, so you struggle and fight. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't have because you ask with evil intentions to waste it on your own cravings. You unfaithful people, don't you know that friendship with the world means hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy? Or do you suppose the scripture is meaningless? meaningless? Doesn't God long for our faithfulness in the life he has given to us? But he gives us more grace. This is why it says, God stands against the proud, but favors the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will run away from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, as we come this morning to hear your message, we have heard your scriptures read. We have looked at a song this morning in the words that it says. So this morning, Lord, we ask that you just speak to us, that you open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear. So, Lord, may the words of your servant's mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, what a week it has been. Four nights. We gathered this week to hear a message and to listen to some wonderful singing and to sing ourselves. And now we go back to normal. Our week doesn't have the multiple worship services. Now we just gather again on Sundays. But I hope we don't ever go back to normal. I hope that our normal is always changing. 
that we don't become comfortable because we're not supposed to be. I hope that over this past week a fire has been lit or relit in your soul. A fire that will bring about change within us and within this community. A fire that increases our love of God and love of neighbor. Now James is a text that gives instruction and calls out. It is a text that has 54 imperatives in the 108 verses of the book. James is a text that is telling the church what to do and what not to do. And this becomes troubling for some churches because they don't like to be told what they can and cannot do. But we need to be told what to do because we have a tendency to do the wrong thing. In just these few verses this morning, James gives us some very poignant things to think about. Now the first thing James hits on is talking about the wise and understanding among you, among us. James gives us a guide on wisdom and where this wisdom comes from. Mark Douglas says, true wisdom is about, is not about actions so much as the integration of thought, of integration of thought, will, action, and the context. He says, not faith or works, but faith and works made coherent in wisdom. So why is wisdom not more obvious? And what does wise living look like? Well, James answers, answers to both of these questions is that there are two kinds of wisdom. There is earthly wisdom, and there's wisdom that comes down from above. And James tells us that these two kinds of wisdom oppose each other. Mark says, to be clear, James does not describe earthly wisdom as some simulacrum or imitation of heavenly wisdom. It is a kind of wisdom that is self-absorbed and destructive. It is false, but in the way that a lie is false. So I ask the same question that Mark does. Why is wisdom not more obvious? Especially this heavenly wisdom that James talks about, this wisdom that comes from God. We can read the scriptures and we can gain knowledge, but that doesn't necessarily gain wisdom. James gives us this list of things that wisdom from above is all about in verse 17. But what does it mean? How are we to interpret these things on this list? In her commentary on this passage, Kathy Dawson came up with three questions that this passage offers for the Christian community. Who is wise and understanding among you? 
From what do conflicts and disputes arise? And what does God want? So Kathy answers this first question by pointing out that James lifts up a number of markers of the evidence of God-given wisdom in the life of individuals. Now these include gentle and humble, pure, peaceable, willing to yield, full of mercy, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And then Kathy asks a very poignant question. Does this describe anyone you know? Now when I read that question at first, I was like, well, no, there's nobody that I know that has all of these things. But as I sat and reflected a little more, I could only think of one person. And it's a person I didn't know all my life, but I knew for a little while. That was Janice Pawpaw. He was a man of few words, but when he spoke, everyone stopped to listen. He was gentle and humble in his interactions with everyone. And I never saw him show any partiality over one group or the other. To me, he was a wonderful example of a man with wisdom from above. Because he cared not only for God's creation, because he was a farmer, but because he cared about people. He genuinely cared for his neighbor. And there was probably some others that were that I could sit and think of, but he was the first one that came to mind. And as I thought about it, I thought that these traits can be difficult to live into. They speak of a life that is not ego-driven, that is not grasping or envious. And I can tell you that I fall short according to these markers of God-given wisdom. Because I can be harsh. I can be unwilling to yield. I can lack mercy. I show partiality. I can be a hypocrite. But in a society that is centered on self-gratification, often at the expense of others, these words can sound alien and countercultural. And really, they should be. Really, in this society, this should seem really alien and countercultural. Because guess what? Jesus was alien and countercultural. We are to live and act differently from the world's standards. Jesus did. We know where it got him. So it's not easy. And it comes with a cost. So we have to ask ourselves, are we 
doing things in our daily lives that live out the evidence, evidences of God-given wisdom. What practices or habits are helping us to live into God's wisdom? But that is only the first question that Kathy poses. Who among you is wise and understanding? The second question is from what do conflicts and disputes arise is one that requires us to actually do some deep reflecting. To actually look at ourselves and see what is causing issues. So Kathy says this, within any relationship, family, or community, there will be times of disagreement. If you've had children, this is very, very true. As Kay told us on Monday night, they either think you're old, stupid, or ugly. No, old, stupid, and what? Hello. I can't remember now. Yeah, old, stupid, or ugly. But it's okay. Because we have these disagreements. But James looks at these conflicts. And he sees what's at the core. And it's the attitude or the sin of envy. So he may call it different things. He may call it selfish ambition. He may call it cravings. He may call it coveting. But it really comes down to desiring what another has. Now James sees this as a sin that feeds on itself. That craving evermore, asking for the wrong things, escalating in violence until the taking ends in death. So when we look at our society, we see this earthly, unspiritual, devilish wisdom all around us. Kathy says marketing capitalizes on these attitudes. We are told via commercials that we can be happy if we just use a particular toothpaste or weight loss remedy. We envy others who appear to embody or have what we want, making over ourselves and our homes into their image. And with the technology today, this is seen even more. Kathy wrote this commentary years ago, before we were in this really digital age, before we got into this pandemic shutdown and everybody went straight into the internet because it was a place to escape. Our social media shows us products based on searches that we've done in Google and by the people we follow. I get ads on Facebook all the time that I'm like, how did they know I was even thinking about that? And then when we watch TV, especially today, 
every five to eight minutes during a TV show, we get bombarded by two and a half to three and a half minutes of product placement. These companies pay millions of dollars to put these ads on during a specific show or during a specific time. Because they want their product out there. They want people to see that their product is worth your time to go get. Because it's going to make you happier. I haven't seen a toothpaste commercial yet that's going to make me happier. Now, I've seen some food commercials that I've gotten really hungry with. So, I, you know, that makes me a little happier. But then that means that I have to go find that food place if there's one nearby. But we get told that we need this new car. It's got all these bells and whistles. I love the newest commercial with the Ford F-150 that's electric. It can power your home when the power goes out. Blows my mind. That now we, drive, we can drive a vehicle that can power our house instead of a house that can power a vehicle. Technology has come such a long, long way. But that's going to make us happier. Because when the power goes out, we just plug it into our truck and now we have power again and we can do all those things we want to do. We can cook, we can turn lights on, we can surf the internet as long as the internet line's not down. But we didn't have to give up anything. It makes us happier. It makes our life easier. These commercials show us that it's easier to possibly go pick up that meal than it is to actually go into the kitchen and cook one. We've lost that camaraderie. Kitchens used to be the place that everybody gathered. While you were cooking the meal, you had conversation. Some of the old houses, the kitchen and the dining room and the living room were all the same room. Growing up, going to my granny and papa's house, they lived in old mill apartments. And they had this formal sitting room, but right next to it was the sitting room that had a couch, a chair, a dining room table, the only TV in the house, and the kitchen. So where did we sit all the time? We sat in there. So when Granny or my mom or whoever was there was cooking, we were able to still conversate with one another. And then when we weren't sitting in that room, we were sitting in the other room listening to the stereo and enjoying time together. We don't get that as often as we used to. Houses now are sectioned off. But we're starting to get back to the open floor plan. We're starting to get back to where there's no big separation between the living area and the kitchen and the dining area. But we still need to know what actually makes us happy.
Because we need to not envy what others have. And I can tell you, I struggle with that one. I see these new trucks, and I'm like, mm, that'd be nice to have that truck. I see a nice boat going down the road, and I'm like, oh, man, that'd be great to go out and go fishing with. I see a four-wheeler or a mule or, you know, a working golf cart, and I'm like, man, that'd be fun to have. Get a little envious. But what are we doing to be content with what we do have and to be happy with what we do have? Are we grateful? Are we thankful for what we do have? And that brings us to Kathy's third question. What does God want? Now, like I said earlier, the lectionary actually omits these verses 4 through 6. But this omission is something that the lectionary does and then we as pastors need to say, mm, I don't like that. So we get the option to read them. And that's why I read them this morning. Because these verses are calling, calling us out on befriending the world. And that if we're friends with the world, we are enemies of God. That sounds harsh. But James is telling us we can't have earthly wisdom and the God-given heavenly wisdom. They oppose one another. God is yearning and searching for the human spirit that mirrors God's own image. Therefore, in choosing to draw near to God, we are throwing off the power that earthly wisdom has over us. So what then does life look like in the church community that lives by God's wisdom? Kathy gives several little bullet points. And I can tell you some of her answers to this question may sting a little bit. So this is what Kathy says. Kathy gives some marks of, wise, of a wise church that this passage provokes. The first thing she says is church officers are chosen on the criteria of godly wisdom rather than how much money they give to the church. Now, I've heard of churches from my fellow pastors that the one person in the church who feels they can control everything is the one who has the biggest pocketbook. Now, that's not true in all churches. Because some actually do just give because they do have. But in some churches, it is that way, unfortunately. We must choose officers on the criteria of their godly wisdom. The second thing that she says is worship leadership is not just handled by the paid staff, but is shared among the church membership of all ages and stations. Now this is one of those kind of gray areas of what do you mean is not handled by the paid staff. 
Well, yeah, I come up and lead. Jana is a leader in worship. There are many others here that are leaders in worship. But how many other than me stand up here on Sunday mornings? And maybe the choir comes up when, when we were doing that. What other leadership are we doing during worship? Are there some other things we can do? Like read scripture. Come up and do the Psalter reading. There's so many other things that we can do in leadership. And I can tell you I struggle sometimes with giving away that, that power, I guess, is how I feel. Of letting somebody else be a part. But I do enjoy it when others read the scriptures. I do enjoy it when others are reading song, and I just get to participate. So worship leadership should not just be handled by the paid staff. Thirdly, she says, disputes are handled with mercy and love, seeking peace above selfish ambition. Shot through the heart. Do we, how often do we actually handle our disputes with love? And not frustration and anger. How often do we seek peace? Next, she says, stewardship becomes not just a season of pledge collection, but a year-long spiritual discipline taught and lived by the community. I'm not a big person that likes to stand in the pulpit and preach about money. And about how we need to be giving our money, we need to tithe our money, we need to do this. I'm not one that is comfortable with doing that. Because I believe, like she says, it shouldn't just be a one or two sermon deal or once a month, you know, yearly thing. It should be a spiritual discipline. All year long. Next, she says that prayer, that prayer is not selfish, asking for what will feed individual desires, but it seeks to the good fruits that will meet the needs of all. Now, that is not saying that we cannot ask for things for God for ourselves. What it is saying is that we can't use God as a genie. Rub the lamp and ask and get what we want. But it is telling us that we need to ask for the needs of our community. And we need to ask for food for the hungry, clothing for the naked, housing for the homeless. We need to be asking what our neighbors need. We can't ask for things ourselves. But don't ever ask for patience. Because what happens when we ask for patience? God gives us some situation that we have to be patient in. But you know what? Maybe we do need to ask for that. Because that's the way we learn. That's the way we gain that heavenly wisdom. 
The next one is peacemaking and social justice ministries become ways of addressing the earthly wisdom that surrounds us. How many protests have we gone to for those who are oppressed? How many times have we stood beside someone that needs us to be there just in support. Peacemaking and social justice is not about being the louder voice. It's about standing next to the person and being a support for their cause. Because I can tell you, sometimes when we open our mouths, it makes the cause worse. We need to be a support for them. To show our support for whoever and whatever is going on. And lastly, she says, our primary identity is measured by our closeness to God rather than the possessions we accumulate. And that brings up the thought of, you know, you, can't, you don't see a hearse with a trailer hitch and a U-Haul. Well, I was proven wrong by that. I, I've seen one with a U-Haul on it now, and I'm, I, I, that's like you can't take it with you. I'm like, well, maybe you can. At least they think they can. Or it was just somebody being funny because they heard that saying, and they're like, I want that when I die. Put a U-Haul behind it. Now, some of these may hurt. Some of these may sting. I can tell you I have some work to do. I have some wisdom to gain. So we just need to ask God for wisdom and discernment. That's what Solomon did when God asked, What do you want from me? Anything and I will give it to you. And he asked for wisdom. And God granted it. So let's ask God for wisdom. Let's work on our envy. And let's draw near to God. So I want to leave you with these words from Barbara Brown Taylor. In Jesus, wisdom from above meant wisdom from below. So that everyone could see which one was which. And in Him, God's Word became flesh. Indeed. Let us go out and be the examples of Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our song of invitation this morning is one that we have sung before. Uh, it is Jesus Loves Me, and this is Chris Tomlin's version. Uh, and like I said before, this one has a few different verses, a little bit different feel to it, um, but it still has the same premise of how Jesus loves us. So let us sing this morning as you feel comfortable, Jesus Loves Me, by Chris Tomlin.
become infused on the way to your house. Amen.